Anthony Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. And this is episode 102, Should We Respect the Bible? Before we get started, I'd like to take care of the obligatory shout-outs. I'd like to thank Arthur Evans for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. Actually, I think he might be a long-time listener. I recognize the name, Art Evans. All right. I'd also like to thank Leanne Backstrom for liking the Weekend Out Facebook page. At first, I thought it was Leanne Blackstorm, and I was going to be like, man. That's the best last name I've ever heard. But Backstrom's pretty good, too. Um, Now to thank this week's new Twitter followers. Monty Moore, just blooping with a picture of a rabbit. All right. Noah or No Way at Godless Robin. Professor Paul, Rational Talk. Atheist Viking. Samuel Johnson, Randolph. Logical Atheist, Jungle Chick, Death by Science, and Helen. I might have mentioned Helen and Death by Science last week, too, but that's okay. So, should we respect the Bible? And before I forget, I'd like to thank friend of the show, Crocoduck, for giving me the idea for this week's topic. Uh, And I'd also like to apologize if you can hear a steady rainfall in the background. Um, A little bit of New England ambiance. I hope it's not the beginning of an epic deluge. I think uh, Aronofsky's Noah opens this weekend, doesn't it? I didn't even build an ark. They'll just find me floating with a bottle of Jim Beam and a USB mic wrapped around me. But anyway, on with the show. I think it all started when I recently tweeted something from Leviticus. I tweeted, wicked little book, and then I followed with Leviticus 29. And here's a longer version, not the shorter version I actually put in the tweet. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Because they have cursed their father or mother, their blood will be on their own head. In response, Crocoduck tweeted, At the week in doubt, the fact that people believed curses were real is ignorance, not wickedness. Remember, we stand on the shoulders of giants. I automatically felt bad. I thought, damn, am I being closed-minded or antagonistic? But in fairness, I suppose you could argue that wickedness is often a product of ignorance or that the two go hand in hand, such as in the case of the burning of witches and the like. Uh, But I remembered how when I first started the show, I was supposed to be the kinder, gentler atheist or non-believer, not someone who was out to wage war on religion, but rather someone whose goal was to seek truth through reason. Well, I still think a lot of what's in Leviticus is harsh and barbaric, to say the least, but there's some good in Leviticus, too. Love thy neighbor as yourself, take care of the poor, etc. But Crocoduck sent me a link to a lecture given by Dr. Robert M. Price. The lecture was entitled, Is the Bible Mind Kampf? At least that was the name of the article the audio file was linked to. Dr. Price is a non-believer too, but the point of his lecture was that we shouldn't demonize the Bible just because there's people out there who have corrupted it or given it a bad name, fundamentalists who interpret it literally, etc., And he made the point that there's plenty of ancient texts, myths, pieces of classic literature, such as the Homerian epics, that contain things that might offend our moral sensibilities, but we don't demonize, mock, or condemn those the way that we do the Bible. He actually used Homer to draw an analogy, saying, what if instead of Christianity there was a dominant religion that worshipped the Greek gods and used the Odyssey as a sacred text? Would we then disdain the Iliad and the Odyssey the way we do the Bible instead of considering them great literary works? 
And if I'm going to be intellectually honest with myself, there's a lot of old pagan myths and ancient literary classics that I'm quite fond of that contain violence, but I don't criticize them the way I do the Bible. I don't resent Odysseus for slaying his wife's suitors at the behest of the goddess Athena, mostly because the suitors had it coming. Um, I don't object to the blood and gore in the myths of the Celts and the Norse. I'm not morally offended when Thor slays giants, mostly because giants don't exist. Um, but on a serious note, I think there's a difference. When you know people believe in morally offensive tales, literally, um, we can look at the licentious behavior of the Greek gods or the bloodshed wrought by ancient heroes and be entertained because we know we're dealing with material that's been relegated to the realm of mythology. It might as well be Game of Thrones or The Lord of the Rings. But when we're dealing with religious texts like the Bible or the Quran, uh, I think the barbaric and morally questionable bits offend us more because we know that there's people who still believe in these texts as being divinely inspired. There's people who still draw their morality from these texts, whose worldviews are shaped by these texts. Uh, think about the bigotry towards gays or the fight to bring creationism into the classroom. So I think when you know people believe in this stuff literally or draw their morality from it, it changes the dynamic. There's more at stake, if that makes sense, and we almost have a moral duty to point out the fallacies, contradictions, and yes, sometimes the barbarity in the text. But as Dr. Price points out, we don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because there's people who believe in this stuff literally. We can still find beauty and poetry in certain parts of the Bible. There's parts of the Bible like the Psalms or Song of Songs, also known as the Song of Solomon, that are known as great works of literature or poetry in their own right. Or as I mentioned recently, I've been rereading the Old Testament, and there's parts that I view as vulgar or primitive, but there's also parts that still give me chills. I was rereading the story of Cain and Abel, and there's that part where Abel's blood cries out to the Lord, and God asks Cain for his brother's whereabouts, and Cain answers with the famous line, am I my brother's keeper? I think it's a powerful story about the value of life in the irrevocable nature of death, and also of the duty we have to one another. But then, of course, there's also the story of the genocidal flood, the punishment of all mankind for the fall in the garden, the slaughter of the Amalekites and the Midianites, um, the slaughter in the book of Joshua, not to mention all the prescriptions for killing in Leviticus, etc. While I'm on the subject of the flood, not long ago I spoke about the Epic of Gilgamesh, which contains an earlier version of the flood narrative, and I absolutely love the Epic of Gilgamesh. But in a way, I feel free to love it in a way I don't the Noah story, because I know people don't believe in it literally. The Epic of Gilgamesh can be seen as a quaint tale from antiquity, while many Christians still take the uh, Noah story literally. And of course, we have people like Ken Ham out there. It's funny, though, that the main god responsible for the flood in the Gilgamesh epic is Enlil, and I view him as kind of the bad guy or the antagonist in the flood portion of the epic, and he's probably the closest to Yahweh in the story. Um, I, I tend to like Ishtar and the other gods better because they're more sympathetic. They're described as weeping. Ishtar is so grieved by the drowning of mankind that she's said to cry out like a woman in childbirth. 
I know I was just griping about the fall in the garden and original sin, but it's funny, as someone who's read a lot of mythology, the story of the garden really smacks of myth to me. It seems like one of those primitive stories that's meant to explain a natural phenomenon. In this case, perhaps sickness and mortality. You know, why do we grow old and die? Why must women suffer pain and childbirth? Well, here's a story that, that explains it. Once upon a time, there were two people and they ate the wrong kind of fruit, uh, which leads to another point. Dr. Price made. And as I've talked about on the show before, there are parts of the Bible that fundamentalists take literally that the authors themselves may not even have intended to be taken literally. As Price put it, and I'm paraphrasing, when the book mentions something like a talking snake, it's as if it's slapping you in the face trying to tell you it's not supposed to be taken literally. But in fairness, I don't know whether or not the author or authors of Genesis intended it to be taken literally. We probably shouldn't give them too much credit. Uh, After all, ancient peoples believed in all sorts of myths and superstitions, and the mythology in Genesis has deep roots that go all the way back into Mesopotamian polytheism. So we're discussing whether or not the Bible merits respect and should be seen as great literature in its own right. And it reminds me of one of the ways I first learned about the contradictions and man-made nature of the Bible, and that was by watching documentaries. When I was younger, I was a religious documentary junkie, still am, really. I especially like shows like Mysteries of the Bible on A&E. They have the dramatic music and the great narration interwoven with expert interviews. I used to see Rabbi David Wolpe, or is it Volpe, on those a lot. And later when I got into the New Atheist, I'd see him in videos debating the likes of Christopher Hitchens and Sam Harris. Anyway, I used to love shows like that, not only because they were educational, but also because they recounted Bible stories in a gripping, dramatic way. Since we're on the subject of biblical stories told through the medium of TV, I think I mentioned on the show that I didn't quite care for the recent Bible miniseries. I thought it was a little cheesy and maybe poorly cast, but I love the old TV miniseries Jesus of Nazareth starring Robert Powell. I believe that's the... uh British actor's name, one of my favorite biblical adaptations on TV or otherwise. But another of my favorite movies is The Last Temptation of Christ, a very controversial movie directed by Martin Scorsese and starring Willem Dafoe. It was controversial because it contained material that many Christians considered blasphemous. Uh, But I thought it was a really powerful movie. Uh, that depicted the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, and that depicted Jesus in a very human light, perhaps too human for believers. And there's um, other things of a biblical or religious nature that I appreciate too. I've spoken repeatedly on the show about my idiosyncratic love of Christmas music and my love for medieval religious music like polyphony and chant. And uh, some Christian-themed literature I like, too, classics like Dante's Inferno or Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress or Milton's Paradise Lost. So the Bible, a wicked, poisonous text or a great work of literature? For me, to be honest, it's probably both. And also we should keep in mind that, as I always say on the show, the Bible is an anthology written by various authors, so the quality and tone of the writings vary. Some parts possess virtue, others seem primitive and affront our moral sensibilities, Uh, some parts possess a kind of poetic beauty, and other parts are just plain tedious and as dry as stale bread. But I guess ultimately what value the Bible holds is something you have to decide for yourself. And with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. 
As always, you can like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can visit the Weekend Out YouTube channel. You can subscribe or review the show through iTunes. Uh, you can check out the archives or the most recent episodes at Podbean. And while you're there, if you're feeling generous, you can donate to the show using the PayPal widget on the official Weekendell Podbean page. And um, I often neglect to mention this, but you can also listen to the show on Stitcher now. And I think that covers everything. So, all right. Thank you. <laughs>